Come on, church family. Man, I've seen that video more times than I can count, and every single time it fires me up. I mean, what a joy to be part of a church family where you see so many people become public in their profession of faith through believer's baptism, and it is exciting. It was an exciting day, and, and uh, it just fires me up. I, 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 I just I don't want to get over it, and I don't want you to get over it. And if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus and you have never been baptized as a believer, the way the Bible talks about, um, where you declare, I'm now a follower of Jesus in a public way, not some secret classroom setting that you went through, but you declare publicly, the way the Bible talks about baptism, public declaration. Um, of your relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. If, if that has never been part of your discipleship, if, if that has never been something you've done, I want to encourage you, begin praying right now. Talk to me, talk to one of the staff, go to the Next Step station, say, I've got questions about that. We would love to talk with you more because I believe firmly with a, all my heart that it is an act of obedience that every follower of Jesus must uh, uh, pursue. And so I, I just want to encourage you. I, I do believe, if you have never, never been baptized as a believer, um, I do believe that you're missing an aspect of your uh, walk with Christ uh, and your relationship with him. So I just want to encourage you to do that. Uh, secondly, you get one of these blue cards, and on the back, you write down any prayer requests that you might have that you would like for me to pray specifically over this week. And I, I'll pray for every single one of these that I get. So take one of these blue cards, turn it over on the back side. You put your name on there. You don't have to put your name on there. But write down any specific requests that you have. And then as you leave, you can put them in the offering boxes. Uh, and uh, I get them on Monday or Monday afternoon, and I begin praying. Of course, it's Labor Day, so it'd be Tuesday, uh, and I begin praying specifically for you. want to encourage you uh, to give me that honor and privilege. It would be my delight to pray over specific needs that you might have. Uh, also, we are a church that prays together, and uh, we pray together every Tuesday night at 6.30 in the chapel. And I just want to encourage you, uh, if at all possible, join us this Tuesday night at 6.30 in the chapel. It is a delightful time, wonderful time. We get together. We don't have Bible study. We get together and we pray. And, uh, and the reason I say it is because you're not taking 30 minutes of listening to me pontificate or somebody else uh, exegete scripture. That's what the hour and a half I get to preach to you right now. That's what, hour and a half. That, thank you. Uh, you're like, stop, stop. Uh, no, we get together and we pray. Uh, and that is something that I want to encourage you uh, to join us in doing. There's something powerful when God's people get together corporately and pray. And First Norfolk prays together. We are a family and we pray together. 6.30 on Tuesday night. But also, I uh, want to encourage you at 1 o'clock for one minute, uh, I want to encourage you to join me in praying for one thing. And this is something that we have done, kind of got lost during COVID. We're trying to bring this back because I think it's important for all of us to get into a habit of a specific set time for prayer. So at one o'clock, uh, I invite you to pray at least one minute for this one thing. What are we going to pray for this week? We're going to pray for all the parents and teachers and students uh, that have gone back to school or going back to school. I want us to pray earnestly that God would use his people who are part of school 
Um, and whether it's homeschool, public school, private school, uh, down the street school, or around the world school, wherever you are, let's pray that God would use his people to make a difference in this uh, community and in the communities around the world because of, uh, uh, of their witness in school. And so I want to encourage you to pray for the teachers, pray for the parents, pray for the children, pray for homeschool parents, homeschool uh, families. Let's pray earnestly uh, for one minute at least uh, for that one thing at one o'clock. Go ahead and write it down. One o'clock. This is what I'm praying for. All right. Uh, and that will be uh, a great encouragement to um, our, our family of faith. It will be a great encouragement to our teachers and to parents and to uh, the children. So uh, last week, uh, uh, David Frost did a spectacular job. Uh, didn't, he, didn't he do a great job preaching on a humble heart? We've been looking at what it means to have a healthy heart, and we've been looking through the Gospel of Matthew. And last week, we saw at the beginning of chapter 18 that a healthy heart is a humble heart. And David Frost uh, did such a wonderful job. Edie uh, texted me and said, not only did he preach a sermon, he modeled the sermon as he was preaching. Um, and he displayed his humility and, and preached in that, in that heart. And, and so I'm so uh, thankful for David and thankful for the job that he did in delivering with confidence. And let me tell you something, this is nerve wracking. Uh, I do this every single week. I've been doing it for a long time and I still get anxious and nervous uh, before I preach. Uh, and it's not because of, you know, y'all are mean or anything. It's because the, the weight of responsibility that this has, and it is heavy every single week. And uh, David Frost did a tremendous job carrying that weight and delivering faithfully the Word of God. So uh, we're still in Healthy Heart series. We're looking at Matthew chapter 18, but instead of having a humble heart, we're looking at what it means to have a healthy heart, and that is a forgiving heart. Um, and uh, guys, I, I just let, let's just stop for a second. I want you to hear my heart on this. This is hard. It is, and it's not easy. Um, there are some things that Jesus teaches us today that are going to be hard for us to hear, perhaps. Um, there, there's going to be some things that he calls us to do that will be challenging for us. Um, so I, I don't want you to think that this is just um, an easy thing to, to fulfill. It's difficult, uh, but it's essential to have a healthy heart instead of a toxic heart. We must have a forgiving heart. Um, it's a story of Matt uh, Swatzel. Uh, Matt Swatzel is a fireman. He'd been working 24 hours, stayed up all night, and got in his car to drive home after uh, an all-day shift, an all-night shift. And, and uh, as he was driving home, he fell asleep at the wheel and ran into June Fitzgerald, who was immediately killed in the car accident, and, their, and her 19-year-old uh, a 19-month-old child was also injured in the accident. Uh, Matt Swassel was arrested, um, and uh, charges were brought against him. But at the hearing, uh, June Fitzgerald's husband, who was a pastor, came to the hearing and asked the judge to be lenient, to give him the, uh, the, the least amount of penalty 
uh, for uh, vehicular manslaughter. And um, out of that plea for the judge's leniency, uh, Fitzgerald and Swatzel developed a friendship. And they developed such a friendship that every week they would get together and have coffee and conversation and talk. And they developed this close friendship that lasts even to this day. When the Today Show interviewed uh, Fitzgerald, they asked him, how in the world can you, uh, you know, be so forgiving? And Fitzgerald responded, he said, you forgive the way you've been forgiven. And that's the message today, that we forgive the way we've been forgiven. A healthy heart is a forgiving heart. Forgiveness is not an easy topic, and it's not easy to talk about, and I'm not an expert on it. I am an expert at receiving forgiveness. I am. That's not a joke. It's true. Um, Because I've needed a lot of it. Uh, But I'm not an expert on giving forgiveness. I know it's challenging and hard. And uh, the more deeply you've been wounded, the more challenging it is to give forgiveness. But what we're going to see is, although it's challenging, God in His grace has given us all the resources we need to fulfill His command to forgive. And it is a command. We're going to read uh, the passage in a few moments, Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35, and And we're going to see, especially verse 35, that Jesus raises forgiving others to a high level. And Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, Jesus um, said, look, if you're not going to forgive others, don't expect God to forgive you. And I mean, that's harsh. So we need to, we need to just, let's put down the reasons why we don't forgive. Let's just set that down for a second. Okay. Let's just put it down, and then let's let the Spirit of God speak to our hearts about how we should have a heart of forgiveness. He's leading us to health, and and so let's let's make that journey. Okay, pick up your copy of Scripture. Let's look at Matthew chapter eighteen. We're going to look at verses twenty-one and following. We'll read the whole passage, and I'll interject here a little bit. Then Peter came to Jesus and said. Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. All right, let me stop here. Peter was learning the lesson. Again, Matthew 6, 17, uh, 6, 14, uh, Jesus said forgiveness is a high-level requirement to be in God's family. If you're part of God's family, you're going to forgive. And so Peter was listening, and he understood that forgiveness was a big deal uh, in the kingdom of heaven. And so he had been listening to Jesus and learning from Jesus The Jewish teachers of uh, Peter's day had taught him when he was in uh, Sunday school or Sabbath school, uh, they taught him that uh, if you're going to be generous, you should be generous in forgiving others, but being generous was you forgive the person three times, but not the fourth. The fourth time you cut them off. And so Peter, again, he'd listened to his Jewish teachers, and now he was following Jesus, and Jesus said, you've got to be uh, generous as a, with your forgiveness. 
And so Peter thought he was going to be bold. And he said, now, now Jesus, how, how many times do I need to forgive the person that sins against me? And he said, up to seven times? Because his Jewish teachers told him up to three. And now he was upping that. He was up in that game. He said, seven times? And, and uh, you know, you can see Peter's disappointment when Jesus responds. Because Peter thought he was really not knocking the ball out of the park. He thought, man, I'm, I'm, I'm ODU and I'm beating Virginia Tech. And, Got to get it in. I, I, you know, he, he thought, man, this is great victory. I, up to seven times. Then Jesus said, I don't say to you up to seven times. I say to you 70 times seven. And it wasn't like you get to 490 and you stop. He was saying 70 times seven. You just keep on forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and forgiving. We'll come back to that in a second. So he gives this truth that, that we are to forgive up to 70 times 7, and then he reinforces that truth with a story, a parable, okay? And he's teaching us lessons about forgiveness through this story using a negative example. And by the way, you tell stories like that sometimes. Use a negative example to teach a positive truth, and that's what Jesus is doing here. He says, therefore... The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun settling accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Stop. 10,000 talents is a zillion bazillion dollars. That, that, literally, 10,000 talents, more than anybody, uh, more of a debt than anybody could amass if you played um, the slot machine forever and ever and ever and ever and ever for all eternity and never won. You, you, I mean, there's just no way you can amass 10,000, a debt of 10,000 talents. And Jesus was telling the story. He was up in the game and he was saying, hey, listen, this is the debt that was owed. It is so big, nobody could even imagine how big that debt is. By the way, that's a picture of our sin and the debt of our sin against a holy God. The kingdom of heaven, the family of God, is like a certain king, God himself, and we are the servant who owes 10,000 talents. And we owe all this debt because of our sin against a holy God. And we could never repay it. If we had a 1,000 lifetimes, we could never repay the debt we owe. So, verse 25, but as the servant was unable to pay, his master commanded that he be sold, and his wife and his children and all that he had, and that payment be made. And the servant therefore fell down before the master, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I'll pay you all. And the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and here it is, and forgave his debt. Didn't take the debt and put it in another account and say, now you pay this on installment. Didn't say, I expect you to pay this back in 25 years. It wasn't a mortgage payment. He, he didn't keep collateral. He just said, forgiven. Verse 28, and that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him $100 denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, 
pay me what you owe. All right, so here's the deal. All right, so the servant who owed a gazillion bazillion dollars had just been forgiven his debt. And he immediately goes out and finds a guy that owes him $100. And he says, you pay me right now. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, same request that the forgiven servant made of the master. This fellow servant asked the forgiven servant. He said, have patience with me and I will pay you all. But the forgiven servant would not. And he went and threw this guy in prison till he should pay the debt. And when the fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. And they came and told their master all that had been done. And his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. By the way, verse 34, he's in the torturer's hands until all the debt is paid. The debt will never be paid. He is in the torturer's hands forever. Verse 35. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from the depths of his heart, does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Draw the connection. Verse 34 applies to every person who does not forgive. That's heavy stuff. I don't want us to lose the, uh, the, the weight of this passage. I know it's going to fall heavy on your heart. As it does mine. It, it, it's a heavy passage. But we've got, we've got to hear what God says. So I want us to consider three questions that this passage has led me to consider. The first question is, what does it mean to forgive? What does that mean? And, and we're going to look at the Bible. We're not going to look at Hallmark. Hallmark will tell you one thing about forgive. We're not going to listen to... Uh, uh, some um, uh, guru, uh, know it all on TV, they'll tell you another thing. We're not going to read um, a, a, a book about it that, that has a lot of different opinions. We're going to go straight to the absolute truth, and that is the Bible. The Bible tells us exactly how God designed forgiveness and what it means. And so if we're going to have a reliable a definition, it's going to come from God's Word. So uh, the Bible tells us what forgiveness is. The first thing in the Old Testament, there is a Hebrew term, nashah, and it, it is uh, the primary term for forgiveness, both God forgiving others, uh, forgiving like you and me, as well as um, uh, one person forgiving another person. And that Hebrew term means to uh, forgive there means uh, to, uh, uh, to, to, to carry away the crime. Like you've seen how it goes. You, uh, you uh, uh, go to a, uh, something and, 
a seminar or something, they say, okay, you've taken your past hurts or you've taken uh, some insecurities or whatever it is, you've taken all that, I want you to write it down, I want you to put it in an envelope, we're going to attach the envelope to a balloon that's got helium in it, we're going to go outside and you're going to release whatever that is, that insecurity, that hurt, you're going to release it to the sky, you're going to carry it away until it gets caught in a tree or a power line. And that's the picture, except it's not just carried away by a balloon to some place. It is sent straight to the hands of God. Whatever the crime is, you carry it away to the throne of God. And the, the example that I think is most poignant in the Old Testament is the example of Joseph. And uh, next year in 2023, I, I was able to get our, uh, the preaching calendar together for 2023 uh, this past week. And, and, and next year, we're going to actually take some time, if all things remain true, we're going to take some time, we're going to study the life of Joseph. Well, Joseph um, you, you remember the story, Joseph is one of uh, Jacob's sons. Jacob had many sons, and, and Joseph was one of them. Uh, the other brothers, he had all brothers, all these brothers are jealous of Joseph, so they put him in a pit to die, and then they decide, let's not, let, let's not kill him, let's sell him into, uh, into slavery. And so they sent him, sold him into slavery, and they uh, and, and the slavers take him to Egypt where he goes from uh, a governor named Potiphar, goes from Potiphar's home, uh, then is thrown into prison, uh, and then he goes from being in prison back to uh, Pharaoh's court and then becomes the prince, a prince of Egypt, if you watch Disney stuff. All right, so he, he becomes this prince of Egypt. And all the while, Jacob, his father, thinks he's dead, mauled by lions and tigers and bears, all mine. And the sons had all conspired and told Jacob, Joseph is, is dead. Well, God orchestrates things and brings J, uh, Jacob and the other brothers and Joseph together again. And then uh, Joseph is kind to all his brothers uh, but after Jacob dies, after the father dies, they get worried. They think now jo Joseph's going to uh, retaliate against us. The father is dead. He's gone. So now Joseph's going to take it out on us. And Jacob was our only rescue. In Genesis chapter 50, I, I love the account. They, they come to Joseph and they say, Joseph, we have sinned against you. Will you forgive our iniquity? Will you carry it away? In Genesis 50, um, 19 through 21, Joseph responds, says famously, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. What you meant to hurt me, God meant to help me. It's all forgiven. You know, forgiveness means to carry away the crime. Uh, as you go to the New Testament, there are th uh, several words that are used in the Greek language in the New Testament that describe what forgiveness is. Um, one of those is found in Luke chapter 6, verse 37. And, and that's, where, that's where Jesus says, judge not and you won't be judged. Condemn not and you won't be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And the term there literally means to pardon the guilty. Uh, not to pardon the uh, possible 
guilt. Like, um, you, you know, presidents will sometimes pardon people who may or may not be guilty of a crime. You know what I'm talking about? So at the end of the, their uh, term, uh, the president has the uh, pardon power and at the end of their term, they'll pardon somebody. I mean, th- maybe they got into some sh- shady kind of things and they might be guilty. They might not be guilty, but the president par- pardons them. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about pardon the person who actually did the crime. Pardon the person who committed the offense against me to pardon them. It doesn't mean that we say they're not guilty. It means that we say you are guilty and I'm going to pardon the guilt. Pardoning the guilt is the exact opposite of holding a grudge. Holding a grudge is where we're not pardoning the guilt. We are pummeling the person with the guilt. You know what I'm saying? So it's not forgiveness. Do you see how hard this is? Because isn't it more natural to hold the grudge than pardon the guilty? Another term that we find, and this is, this is in Ephesians 4, 32 through 5, 2, it is, uh, so we carry away the crime, we pardon the guilty, and the third one is we extend grace. Ephesians 4, 32, um, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ also forgave you. And live a life of love as dearly loved children, just as God in Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Forgive. The term there comes from the word grace. And literally what it means is we are to cover the sin with the grace that God has given us. We, we literally ask God to cover, that, extend grace. Are you going to be gracious to someone who has sinned against you? That's what forgiveness means. Forgiveness means I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to extend grace. And then the final term uh, in the New Testament for forgiveness is to let go the debt. And that's, what we, that's the exact word we have here in Matthew 18. So here's what forgiveness means. Forgiveness means that we carry away the crime. We pardon the guilty. We extend grace. We cover the crime, the sin with grace. And we let go the debt that they owe. That's what forgiveness means. There are no caveats there. There are no squishy little ideas. It just means what it means. So when we come to Matthew 18, we need to understand what Jesus is talking about, what the disciples heard, and what we must hear. This is what it means to forgive. The second question I want us to consider is, how often should I forgive? Obvious, and don't have to spend a lot of time on this, I, I just want you to understand that um, we are to forgive in an unlimited way. In, in the context here, it seems most likely that Peter was asking, if I have a person uh, and they come and they sin against me, and then they come back and they ask forgiveness, I'm to forgive them. And that same person comes and he sins against me. 
I am to forgive them. And another person comes, and, uh, or that same person comes and commits the same crime or same sin against me. I am to forgive them. And, and, and so Peter was like seven times. And Jesus said, no, unlimited times. So no matter how many times they sin against you, maybe even in the exact same way, when they come and they ask for your forgiveness, you give them forgiveness. You forgive them. You carry away the crime. You pardon the guilt. You, uh, you uh, extend grace. You let go the debt. Every single time. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, okay, I, I, okay, that's hard. In fact, most people would say if somebody sins against you in the exact same way on a co- repeated basis, you would be a fool to forgive them. But God says if somebody commits sin against you in the same way and they ask forgiveness, you would be a fool not to forgive them. And that goes against how we do relationships. Now, Jesus didn't say, this is my caveat, all right? Okay, you ready? Jesus didn't say, if a guy steals from you every single week and asks for forgiveness every single week, God's not saying, keep giving them access to your money. He's not saying that. He's saying, put boundaries. I mean, put boundaries around your life. Put boundaries around your, those circumstances that, that have um, um, encouraged this. But when they, when they sin against you and they ask for forgiveness, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Forgive. And if it's a hundred times, it means we forgive a hundred times. You see, this hard. Okay. As I was thinking through this, I also realized that this passage could mean not just the fresh wounds of sin, but it could mean a fresh memory of a past wound of sin against you. Y'all know these fresh memories that hit us and remind us of the pain and the hurt and the wound that runs deep in us because of the crime that he or she has done to us? What do you do with that? Can I suggest that the principle applies the same way? Whether it's a fresh wound of a current crime against you or it a fresh memory of a past wound, what do you do? You forgive. That fresh memory comes up of the past wound. And by the way, the deeper the wound, the more of those fresh memories you're going to face. Right? What do you do with that? I think this passage speaks to it. You forgive. And you have to keep on forgiving. Not four times, not seven times, not 490 times, but you just keep on forgiving. How often must we forgive in an unlimited way? 
from the depths of our heart. And then finally, the last question I want us to consider is, what sparks forgiveness in us? You've already read the story that Jesus told. Um, He's talking about family here. He's saying to be part of God's family means that you're you're going to live in such a way that brings pleasure to the king, the dad, the, the father, God. You're, you're going to live in a way that, that honors your father because you were that person and I was that person that had the debt of sin that, that I carried. And no matter how much I worked, no matter how often I tried, no matter uh, how, how um, uh, charismatic or religious or intellectual or, or, or whatever I was, I was never going to be able to pay the debt of my sin against a holy God. God is holy. He has absolutely zero imperfection. And so when I sin, I have offended him far more, a zillion, gazillion times more than any person could ever sin against me in my human frailty. I've sinned against God a gazillion times. You sin against me. It's peanuts compared. So what what is it that motivates us to forgive? What what is it that, that inspires us, that sparks in us? Forgiveness? Well, first, I just say, I point you again to verse 35. Verse 35 carries the weight of a command. It says, if you withhold forgiveness, then you're not really part of God's family. That's what it means. If, if you have no inclination, you think it's okay for you not to forgive. If you say, I don't have to forgive. It's not talking about the struggle. It's talking about I've made up my determined mind. I don't have to forgive. It's not who I am. And God says, baloney. It's exactly who you are if you're part of my family. Right? Gets quiet in here when we talk like this. It does. So part of our motivation, part of what, what, what motivates us is it's a command of God. And I'm a child of God. I'm part of his family. I'm a son or a daughter of God. And so I want to make him smile. I want to bring God pleasure. So if it's a command, I want to do it. But what sparks this forgiveness beyond the command? And can I tell you what it is? Forgiven people forgive people. What what sparks forgiveness in our heart is when we go back to the gospel that rescued us. That I was a sinner and that I didn't deserve anything but punishment, torture for the rest of my days and on and into eternity. I was separated from God by my sin and rightly so. But God, who is just and holy and must punish sin, he did something to forgive me and make me fit for his family. And that is he sent Jesus to die in my place on a cross so that I no longer have to live under the condemnation, under the guilt, under the pain under the weight of my crimes against a holy God. I'm forgiven. I've been freed. I've been brought into his family. And that's who I am. And that, that good news must inspire.
inspire us, sparks in us a yearning to forgive others. Here's, here's what I, w- I would just suggest perhaps might be helpful. Instead of focusing the crime uh, on the crime or the sin or the offense that someone has committed, instead of focusing on that crime, that sin, focus on the Christ who forgave your sin and how that can help you forgive their sin. You, you don't focus on the imperfect person. You focus on the perfect one who has given you life and forgiven you and me. Like I said, I'm no expert on forgiving. I'm an expert on receiving forgiveness. And so I want to stick in my expertise. And I want to, I want to soak in this wondrous good news that God has rescued me and forgiven me, not because of anything that I've done, but in spite of everything I've done. What sparks forgiveness in us? Ephesians 4.32. Listen again. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you and live this life of love as dearly loved children just as Christ has loved you and gave himself up for you a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God guys we're part of God's family we are beloved children lavished in God's love and when we rest in that wondrous truth that I am part of God's family I have been forgiven I I didn't earn it I don't deserve it but he gave it to me I'm forgiven I'm forgiven I'm forgiven and I've rest in that glorious truth and the power of that wondrous reality that I am his dearly loved child, forgiven, freed, and fit for his family. It's like this past week, Edie had uh, our granddaughter. We have a granddaughter. Her name is Nora. Edie had Nora. And she'd send videos, and Nora's sitting in the chair, and she's eating eggs. And just as happy as you could be eating those eggs, she'd say, eggs! I've got eggs! Right? And then they went to the beach, and Edie holding Nora's hand, walking along the beach, and Nora seeing people and seeing waves and seeing birds and, and making new friends, and, and, and just as happy You know what that is? That's the picture of you and me. Held in the grip of the nail-pierced hand. The one who has embraced us in his love and owns us 
by his forgiveness. We are safe and secure. We're contented, just like Nora with her grandmommy. We are contented in the embrace of Jesus. And the more we focus on that contentment, the more we can forgive. So as we close today, I just want to ask, whether you're online or in the, in the room, have you been forgiven? Has there been a time in your life where you have received the forgiveness that God offers you through faith in Christ, where you have repented your sin and trusted in Christ alone to bring you into God's family, make you fit for God's family? Have you been forgiven? Have you received that glorious forgiveness? And if not, I offer today this wondrous plea from a loving God find forgiveness through faith in Jesus right now if you're in the room and you long to become part of God's family through faith in Christ and receive the forgiveness that God offers I invite you to come to one of the ministers here or in a few moments when the the gathering closes go to the next step station if you're online Text the number on the screen, text Jesus to the number on the screen or email pastor at firstnorvik.org and say, I want to become a follower of Jesus. I want to receive the forgiveness that God offers through faith in Christ. Oh, friends, don't pass up this opportunity to receive the greatest gift you could ever own. And the second thing, And to those of us who are followers of Jesus, are we forgiving? I mean, just let that weigh on us. Are we forgiving? Maybe today, the first step we can take. Just say, oh God, I I don't know how I'm going to do it. But I know you want me to do it. So I forgive, fill in the blank. Just start with that. And then see what God can do. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Oh, God in heaven, thank you for the beauty of your word and the power of your forgiveness. And God, right now, I pray that even in this moment, you might help us who belong to your family to reflect the family values and rest in the secure grip of your great grace so that we can forgive. God, I pray that that you would help us live up to and step into what you desire as we forgive others. Father, if there's any here or online who have yet to become followers of Christ, who have yet to experience the forgiveness that you offer through faith in Christ, I pray that you would inspire them to come and find that glorious release and relief in the forgiveness you offer as they put their trust in Jesus. Now, God, I pray that you would go with us in this moment and encourage us as we worship you, that we would respond as you call us to. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray.